Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, good morning. Welcome to C2 Church. I'm Pastor Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it's so great to be with you this morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, in case I forget to wish you a happy Super Bowl Sunday later. Thank you. I received that. Thank you so much. I don't have a dog in this fight this year. I'm just hoping for uh, a good game and, of course, good commercials. That's what we all watch the game for. So uh, I do believe that Christians should have the best Super Bowl parties with the best food. I think that's a requirement. I can't prove it by Scripture, but that's what I'm going with. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're with us this morning. We're actually launching a new series over the next four weeks called With Room. How many of you are coffee fans? Anybody? Got to have your coffee in the morning or your pot of coffee in the morning. You know, there, there's a skill when you go to a local coffee shop to ordering coffee. Now, when, when I first started drinking coffee, it was real simple. Caffeinated or decaffeinated. Now, it's complicated, right? I don't even know how this happened, but it's very complicated now. You walk into Starbucks, you stand behind someone who orders, and when their drink is more than three words long, high maintenance, right? I heard a person order this one time. They said, I need a venti half-whole milk, one-quarter, one-percent, one-quarter non-fat, extra hot, split quad shots, no foam latte with whip, two packets of Splenda, one sugar in the raw, a touch of vanilla syrup, and three short sprinkles of cinnamon. Wow. And a donut. <laughs> but the coffee shops, I mean, they're not helping. They're not making it easier. It's no longer small, medium, or large, right? I mean, you go to Starbucks, it's tall, grande, and venti. And when you don't use those three words you get a funny look. You know, like, you're such a noob. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. So I, went, I was in Starbucks the other day, and I said, I'd like a, a, a small mocha. And I kid you not, the, the person taking my order said, you mean a tall? <laughs> well, if you know what I mean, <laughs> just give it to me. It's not that tall anyway. Trust me. I know what tall is. So one time I ordered just a, a straight black coffee, and they said, uh, would you like room with that? <laughs> Again, I, I showed my novice coffee drinking uh, knowledge here at this point. Would you like room with that? And I said, um, I, do I? I'm not sure. Is that legal? Can I do, am I old enough to order room? I, I, I didn't know what it meant. So I just kind of stared there dumbfounded, and I said, um, sure, I think so. For those of you who don't know, now, you have to know, my wife is a retired barista. She's an excellent barista. She is a coffee snob of some, some sort. She has trained me. And by the way, she doesn't really even like coffee, but she's trained that way because of her experience as a barista. And so she taught me that with room means you're leaving room for cream and sugar that you want to add in later. And so if you forget that, you're out of luck. There's a lot of things that could happen. You know, if you fill your cup too full and you don't leave room for the good stuff to be poured in or any extra things to be poured in, it could mean a lot of things. I know that there are times when I've made coffee, especially when I'm making coffee with my wife. She likes hers more like chocolate milk. And so it's true. You like a little extra stuff in there. So usually it's, it's I've learned that to add it first before I pour the coffee in because what I would do 
is like myself, I will pour the coffee pretty much to the brim because I only like a little cream in it. She, however, likes a lot of cream in it. And I made the mistake one time of filling it too full. And I thought I'd just sneak it by her by putting just a little bit of cream in. She won't notice. Well, I, I knew it had to be a certain color. We go by colors in our house. She has to have it a certain color. And so I poured it to the brim to get it to that magical color. And then I attempted to walk it to the bedroom where she was getting ready. And you know what happens when you fill it to the brim, right? It just spills all over you, and you're sticky, and it burns your hands. But now I was committed. I was like halfway there when I realized this is not going well at all. But I can't turn around because it's the same distance at this point to just get to her as it would be to go back. So I just brought her hot mess to her and set it down, and then it spilled all over her vanity. And so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. But you ever had situations in your life like that where you filled your life so full that one, you couldn't add anything else, even the good things. And as life got busy and you got bumped, the hot mess of life began to spill and burn and make everything sticky. I don't know if you've ever had that experience or not. But that's what we want to talk about over the next few weeks, is how do we live life with room? What does that look like? As we examine Scripture of how to make room in our life and God's design for living life with room. That could be defined as having room at the end of the month where you have more money than month left. You ever been the other way where you had more month than money left? Checks in the checkbook don't count. That doesn't mean you have money in the account, kids. It may mean that there's a night at the end of the week where there's nothing going on. What would that be like? Amen. It could even mean the distance, living with room between you and temptation. So what does it look like to live life with space, with room left over? This morning I want to focus on money and finances. Because the, the Bible addresses money qu quite a bit actually. And gives us some guidelines of how to handle it in a, a God-honoring way that also blesses us. I don't know about you, but money is one of the most stressful things in life. And, and that's not just from personal experiences. You can look at the statistics of things that stress out individuals and families. It's how to deal with money. I, I like summertime when all the garage sales are going on because it means one of two things. People are trying to make room in their life, and I get to benefit from it, right? One man's junk is another man's junk, <laughs> right? Or treasure, however you look at it. But I find it, it, it's kind of interesting because we're trying to clear out stuff that we have sort of extra so that we can make more room for stuff, right? Isn't that how it, it is? And this is evidenced by my garage. I clean it out, and somehow magically it fills back up. How in the world does that happen? I like driving down the road and, and seeing those self-storage places because I often think to myself, someone has too much stuff. It's, isn't that it? I mean, there, there are obviously other reasons to use self-storage, but there's a lot of times where it's just people who have so much stuff. I've got to have some place to store my stuff. 
So what, is it, what does the Bible say? How does the Bible address the issue of money and finances and stuff? There's a couple things we, we need to know. That one, that God doesn't need your money. I'm sure God does fairly well. He's okay. He doesn't want to control your money, nor do I as your pastor. But God wants us to live an abundant life. He wants us to live wisely and freely without the encumbrances of debt and the stress of living life to the brim. He wants us to live in a way that honors him and blesses us. And that's done with room. So what does it mean to live life with room financially? It it might mean money left at the end of the month. Money available to help someone who is in need. It means that there's money to do the things you enjoy. To give and, and not feel stressed out. To feel financially at rest. Where you're not forced to work more and more. That might be the, final, the, the financial margin you need to simply rest. Now some of the things I'm going to say today are obviously in, in a general context. And you, as you apply it to your life, I pray that God gives you wisdom by his Holy Spirit. Your situation is different than everybody else's. The, the hardships you might be in right now may cause you to have to take different steps than other people. But I think in general, as we go to the Word of God, we'll find that God's principles can apply to our life. But here's what I see, at least in our culture, three problems in handling money. One, the first problem, is I want more. Right? What's enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That, that's kind of our culture. But listen to what Scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As Paul the Apostle is writing to his protege, young Timothy. And he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with that. And he goes on to say, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs i find it interesting that one paul is the one who says money is the root of all kinds of evil he doesn't say having money is evil don't give in to that lie that having money is evil it's that i love money and i want just a little bit more And then he goes on to say, in fact, some have exchanged their faith for chasing after that and have pierced themselves with many griefs. That's an interesting thought. That at times the chasing of money only pierces our life with grief. What is enough? Just that little bit more? More than I currently have? As much as somebody else has? It's not wrong to have. But when it becomes the thing that I chase in life, we've now exchanged faith for something else. I see the second problem as this. I manage poorly. I manage what I am given poorly. I don't know about you, but I wasn't born with a sense uh, of uh, budgeting. It wasn't a skill that I came out having at birth. The good looks, yes, I did. I had that. But managing money, I I didn't get that gift. And so it's something I've had to learn. And perhaps you've 
been able to learn that skill as well. Listen to what Proverbs 21.20 says. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. When we manage what we are given by God poorly, we can't blame God for it. The scripture does not say in the house of the wealthy there is room. It doesn't say in the house of the two-income family there is room. It doesn't say in the house of the person with the best job there is room. It says in the house of the wise where they have stored, which means there's been a discipline to place something away instead of devouring all we have. I think sometimes we choose unwisely. I know I certainly have. But I think if we learn to steward and be a great manager of our resources, we will find that there is more than we expected. But oftentimes in life, we don't live, leave margin. We spend all we have because, well, it's in the bank account, so it must, it must be okay. And that's fine. But when you are bumped by some sort of financial crisis and you have spent every penny because, well, it was there, something happens. Well, it's time to whip out the credit card. It's time to do other things because we haven't chosen wisely. And sometimes we have to give up the good to get to the best in life. We like convenient and instant, don't we? At least I do. I like, I want it here and I want it now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to save. I don't want to say no. That's the hard word to say, right? It takes discipline. It takes foresight. Saying hard is no. And I think about just what today represents, the Super Bowl Sunday, right? They say that Americans will spend billions of dollars on snacks and parties and all sorts of things related to the Super Bowl during this time of year. Isn't that crazy? We're going to spend billions of dollars on that. And we don't think twice about it. Most of us will say, oh, well, we have to. We're having a Super Bowl party. It's that time you've got to do that. You've got to have chicken wings and some sort of dip. You have to have three kinds of dips. It's just the way it works. I'm sorry. But we don't think twice about it because it's just part of the culture and the hype that we've given into. There needs to be the discipline. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I know some of the choices that Darcy and I have had to make in our life regarding our finances have required foresight and then sacrifice so that we can have the best instead of just the good and the now and the instant. When we decided to put our kids at Christian Chapel Academy here at C2, it required us to say no to something financially so that we could afford to give our kids private schooling with a Christian worldview. That was important to us. That was a decision we made. And it meant we had to go without a bigger house and a newer car or a second car or other things. But that's a decision we made. I'm not saying that's for everybody, although you should think about it. But that's a decision we made, and then we chose to live with the priority of that and then the consequences of having made that decision. When you say yes to something, it means you're saying no to something else. Even if you're saying yes to good things, you're saying no to better things sometimes. The third problem I see is that we make money our master. Matthew 6, 24 says this, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, money is a great tool, 
It's a terrible master. Money is a great tool, but it is a terrible master. Again, refer to budgeting. If you plan to fail, you fail to, no, other way around. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, if you've ever heard that saying. This is why I like what we're offering with our next classes with Financial Peace University. If you've never learned to budget or you want to to maybe take your budgeting and your planning skills financially to the next level, this class is for you. In nine weeks, you're going to get some really good ideas and resources of how to use your money wisely to the glory of God that you might also receive benefit. And I want you to watch this video about FPU real quick. This morning, we're talking about making room in our life, having a living life with room. Here's, here's a key that, that I want you to understand this morning from Scripture. I call it the law of firsts. You find this law of firsts throughout Scripture as God talks about giving the first. Now, the word law, I think, for some of us has a bad connotation, especially in the church world when it comes to Bible and God, because we see laws as restrictive. We see them as ways that God will hit us over the head with a, a stick because we didn't do or did something that we shouldn't have. But I like to think of it more like a, a law of science, uh, cause and effect, like the law of gravity. If I throw a, up, uh, throw a ball up, it will come down unless it's stopped by some other object or force. And this is kind of the law of firsts. There's a cause and effect. If we do this, then God says he will do this. And the law of firsts says, says this, I trust God first, so I give God my first. I trust God first, so I give God my first. Because when I do that, I'm saying, God, you alone are my resource. You alone are my provider. Everything I have comes from you. 100% of the things that belong to me are actually from you, and they belong to you. And when I give to God first, I demonstrate that trust. I demonstrate that I want his rule and reign in my life. Now, this law is not something you have to follow. Certainly. You could say, you know what, that's not for me. And maybe you don't, uh, maybe you're not a person of faith, and you say, well, that's, that's not really for me. But you know what, even people of faith have found that generous living and giving, the law still applies. God is faithful. Listen to what Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him the first share of all your crops. Then your storerooms will be so full they can't hold everything. Your huge jars will spill over with fresh wine. I love the way that translation says it. That when we give to God first, he's going to take care of us. He's going to bless. He's the one that will cause the increase. Listen to the few verses before this in that same proverb, 3, verses 5 and 6. Perhaps you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. It's interesting when you place the first verses I read in context with these verses, that when I trust in the Lord, and his ways don't make sense in our culture. Our culture says, get to, give to yourself, get what you want. But God says, trust me, my way might be different. But when I trust him, he's going to make my path straight. Listen to what Malachi 3, 10 and 11 says in our scripture. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. He says, trust me. Not only trust me, but test me. See if I won't keep my promises. Now listen, when we begin to apply this to our life, and we give to God's storehouse, and in this context, the storehouse is your local church. If this is your home church, this is what God is referring to as your storehouse. When we, when we are faithful to give to his ministry and to his kingdom, to the advancement of reaching the lost and blessing our community, God takes care of you. We have to stop thinking, though, that the only way that God blesses is by pouring out more, a mountain of money on me. Well, I, I gave God 10 bucks this week, so I expect 20 in, re- in return in the mail. I love to give God freedom to bless in however he wants to do it. And I'm often surprised. I think this scripture speaks to that. It doesn't promise that the cash comes back like a rebate. It promises that God will make sure that the devourer will not eat up your crops. Well, if you're not a farmer, what does that look like? He's going to keep Satan from taking what you have, causing it to be devoured. Maybe he causes your car to run longer, your peanut butter to last longer, if, unless you're allergic. Just saying. But God's blessings aren't always cash. God's blessings, though, listen, they don't consume more room. They create more room. When you trust God and give to God, he begins to create more room for you and his blessings. Giving liberates the soul of the giver. This is one of the things I've discovered in my life in the joy of giving. And Paul, the apostle, writes in his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8. He says this, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. When I give my first to God, it's, it's the most effective way to tell my heart and my mind to trust God. I give to God because it cracks the shell of selfishness that I find myself fighting against generosity is my goal it starts with giving my firsts this principle of of giving is based on the old testament examples of tithing and offering you look all the way back to genesis chapter 4 with cain and abel they both brought offerings to the lord they both brought something to give to god but listen What was given? Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Why? Why not Cain's? The connotation there is when Cain brought some of the fruit that he had raised, it wasn't that God was displeased with fruit, right? I'm sure God loves fruit and veggies. But listen, the connotation of that sum is a connotation of leftovers. Cain, on his way to offer God something, was like, oh, yeah, here's a couple things. Uh, They may not be the best, but clean them off a little bit. God can have a little bit of whatever I got. Cain just offered the leftovers. There's no no foresight, no planning, no sacrifice. But Abel offered the firstborn of his flock. I mean, if you're in the wool business, if 
if that's your deal, then giving away your firstborn, it's not just what that firstborn represents, the wool, the meat, whatever it provides. It also means its offspring. So I'm giving away my future as well. God was pleased with Abel's offering. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll find the law of the first as we talk about God talking to his people about offering the firstborn as either consecration or dedication. But tithing was created for our benefit. Tithing came from this idea of offering God first. So the tithe simply meant the first 10%. And so the people of Israel were commanded to give the first 10% to the temple. And in this, they were honoring God. They were providing for the ministry as well. But tithing was created for our benefit. It teaches us how to keep God first in our lives. And I found this, and and maybe you found it true as well. Unselfish people make better husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, church members, teachers. Unselfish people are just better in every aspect. Is that not true? Tithing helps us become unselfish. And God, through this, is helping us prosper over time. And tithe was, it became the basis for this new movement called the church that we find in the New Testament. And some people say, well, tithe was an Old Testament law. It's not applicable to the New Testament and to New Testament church. Sure, we can make that argument. But the New Testament church used it as a basis. Many of them continued to give the tithe to the temple, especially those who were Jewish while they also continued to take care of this new thing they called the church. They didn't stop. And they gave in new ways. In fact, Acts records that they began to sell property just so they could take care of the needs of those who were part of this new community. They began to operate at such a different, in such a different way that it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because of their generosity, because of the way they were giving. It was so unlike the culture of that day. Listen, the law of the first comes with a promise, too. The law of the first comes with promise, too. Matthew chapter 6 says this. Do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your treasure also. The law law comes with a promise. Like gravity, if this, then that. If I obey and give, God will provide. God will bless. That's his job. That's his promise. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. He says this. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. You see the thought and the planning in that? You see that Paul is saying you should think about this. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you abound in every good work. I know that I can provide enough for myself. But I know when I trust God, He provides more than enough. I've also learned in my life that obedience comes before blessing. There's probably not a person in this room that would say, well, I don't, I don't need the blessings of God. Most of us say, I, I do want God's blessings. It rarely comes before we obey. When hardship comes, 
We've already decided that we trust God. That's why when I give, I trust God. And when hardship comes, and it will come, whether in finances or in uh, my health, my family, when I've established who is my provider, who is my source, I find it much easier to trust God. Finally, the law of first help us focus on eternity. This was actually Matthew chapter 6, verse I read earlier. Don't store up for yourself treasures on this earth, but think ahead. Store up treasures where it really matters, in eternity. Because if that's where your heart is, if your heart longs for where Jesus is, and that's where you're storing up the true treasures, that's what your whole life will reflect. So think of eternity, where your treasure is, where your heart is. Where your heart is, that's where you're going to put your money. That's what really matters. That's why when we give, we've decided to give to missions. Beyond just giving to the local church, Darcy and I and the kids give to missions, whether it's BGMC and the kids' ministry or Speed Light and youth ministry. What, what, Speed Light, youth ministry? Because we want to store up treasures in heaven. What are the treasures of heaven? Souls. Reaching people who've never heard about Jesus. I want to end with this as the band comes. So how do we put God first in our finances? How do we make room? You know, one of the things Darcy and I have, have talked about is how we love the generosity of our church. As we see God operate and bless you because many of you operate according to these principles. And as I've observed my own life and the lives of those I know who, who are making room financially, these are some of the things that I think are helpful. One, become a family that makes the tithe part of your worship. Make that, that basis of giving, that 10% of, of your income, part of your worship. Not under obligation, but with joy, trusting God. And we teach our kids that. Second thing, pray and ask God what he'd like to do through your money. Again, money is a tool. How can God use your money? How can he use what he's provided you for his kingdom? Third, manage your resources wisely. If you can't live on the 90%, you surely can't live on the 100%. You'll discover that when you're living on 90, you can do so much more because God is blessing all of the 90 instead of an unblessed 100. You'll find that you have more. Take care of what you have, too. Maintain it well. Learn. Get coached. Take an, the, the Financial Peace University class to learn how you might manage and maintain your finances. Fourth, practice being supernaturally content. And finally, look for the blessing. Look for what matters most in life. In the end, it's probably not the money. It'll be so many other things that we've been blessed with. Let me say this. Don't take my word for it. Pastor Jeremy doesn't preach on money because the church is in need. That's not our motivation. Every year in February, we, we talk about this topic because I believe it's important. We cover it throughout the year. In fact, every Sunday we give you a little bit of nugget to think about and ponder about your finances and your giving. But here's my challenge for you. Many churches do. It's called a 90-day challenge. It's not a gimmick. I, I'm not promising anything, but God is. I believe that if over the next 90 days you begin to step out in generosity and giving, God will take care of you. He will bless you. He will see you through. What does that look like for you? Well, maybe... You're just attending C2 regularly, but you're not giving. Why don't you step into giving? Maybe it's a percentage. Maybe it's what you have at the time. 
but take the next step. Maybe you're kind of giving sporadically whenever, but maybe you step into planned percentage giving. You know what? I'm going to start with 2 or 3%. Start with something and go from there. Maybe you've been giving planned percentage, but now you say, you know what? I need to move to, to the tithe as a basis. Or perhaps you're tithing, but you've never stepped into a faith promise to support our missions, our missionaries. Whatever the next step is for you, I simply am asking you to think about generosity on every occasion, and God will bless. I really believe all of this starts on the inside. It all starts on the inside. It's a heart thing more than it is a wallet thing. Sometimes our heart is in the back pocket, isn't it? That's a weird metaphor, but it's true. <laughs> Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? My challenge to you, if you're not a person of faith, you've never placed your faith in Christ, perhaps that's the place you start, is allowing Jesus to be Lord and Master over every part of your life, including your finances. But what matters most is your heart and your soul and eternity. Perhaps as the band leads us in this final song, we'll just reflect on the words of the song and what God is asking you to do. Church, would you stand with me as we close this morning? You know, from the inside out, really on the inside, I've, I've discovered that I give because God first gave to me. That's the greatest motivation in my heart, as God demonstrated his great love for me in this, while I was still a sinner, he sent Christ to die for me. Before I ever made a decision, he gave for me. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed in this holy moment, church, maybe there's those of you who have never placed your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, this is your moment. The message is less about what you give to our church and what you, more about what you give to God. There's nothing greater that God wants than your heart and your soul. In this moment, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you've never made that commitment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And we're going to pray with you. We're not going to point you out, but we're going to help you get started on that journey. And trusting in Christ and Christ alone as your Lord and Savior because of what he did by dying on the cross in your place and rising again to give you new life. If that's you this morning and you'd like to place your faith in Christ, would you simply raise your hand up high? I'd love to pray with you. The church here will pray with you as well. Anybody else? Anybody else? Then church, let's pray with all those who raised their hands this morning. If you'd repeat after me out loud with your voices, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus that you gave to me before I ever gave anything to you. Thank you for his death that took my place and paid my debt. And thank you for his risen life that gives me new life. I will trust you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And church, can I pray a blessing over, over you that whatever God is challenging you to do in your heart, you would be faithful to that. Not simply to what you've heard me say, but what God is calling you to do. Father, would you bless your people? 
as they learn to trust you, as we learn to trust you more and more each day, becoming generous on every occasion. Lord, for those who are experiencing hardship, whether it be in their health or their finances or their relationships, Father, I pray as they are obedient, as they trust you, you will pour out your blessings as your word promises. Father, for each person today pondering how they might take the next step, we know you're faithful that when we do, you will provide, you will show yourself faithful. And so we ask your blessing that the world might know that you are true, that you alone provide hope for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you, church. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. Don't forget the Financial Peace University preview class happening right now down the hall in the venue. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.